and welcome to the Water With Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am a fellow 20-something creating this podcast for you, my 20-something friends, or 20-somethings at heart. My hope and prayer is that you walk away from each episode feeling encouraged, challenged, and refreshed in your walk with the Lord. I invite some legit older, wiser women on to help us along this journey and remind us that we will indeed survive. I am pumped that you're here. Hey ladies, welcome back to the podcast. I am so thankful for all the people coming back to the podcast week after week. On this week's podcast, I'm talking to my friend Mary DeMuth. And I want to be sensitive to those who might listen into this episode and may have experienced sexual abuse somewhere in your past. I talk with Mary in this episode about her story and her past surrounding sexual abuse. So if this is something that is hard for you to listen to, then feel free to check out another episode. I promise you won't be hurting my feelings. It was a great conversation. I think you guys will be truly impacted by her story. I love chatting with her and I'm so appreciative of her vulnerability in sharing her story. So let's get on with it. Well, hey, Mary, welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Thanks for having me. It's such a privilege. Yes, I'm pumped. I've been so excited to talk to you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about your new book and all of that. And so how about you just start us off first and let us know a little bit about yourself and what life is like for you these days? Sure. So um, <clears throat> life is a little different than it used to be because all of my uh, kids are now in that age bracket of the 20s. So, uh, oh, man, <laughs> I know Empty nester. It, it's weird. <laughs> but so that's yeah. kind of <laughs> That's kind of my life. And uh, I'm a full-time writer and speaker. And uh, I have a very frustrating two-year-old Labrador retriever. Hopefully, we won't hear her while we're doing this interview. (laughs) And a husband. (laughs) and uh, But he's not here, so he won't bark. And um, yeah, I live in the Dallas, Texas area. Go to a big church here and um, have a difficult story of my upbringing, which is kind of what informed me of writing this book that uh, we're going to chat about today. Uh, it's crazy that your kiddos are in their in their twenties. <laughs> yes. So it's kind of fun that, like, you know, I always say it's for twenties or twenties at heart. So you can totally put yourself. I in am that, in totally right putting there. myself in that group because I feel like I relate better to that age. Maybe that means I'm not mature, but um, <laughs> it, no, it just, just means, means young at I heart. Yet, yes, yeah. thank you. That's a positive way of looking at it. <laughs> I think I totally think that. it's a great thing, totally. right? I always, you know, Jesus says over and over again about like being childlike. <laughs> there we so, go. Just trying, just trying to follow yep, what he says, yep. you know? So let's talk about your twenties. Like what, mm. what was life like for you in your twenties? Like what was good? What was hard? All the things. Yeah. What was, what was good was that, um, in my twenties, early twenties and late teens, I was in college and, I had just begun to talk about my sexual abuse story and I happened upon really safe people. And so they, um, truly like if I was going to trace the, 
kind of the line of my healing journey, there'd be, it would be really high during my early twenties because I had these folks in my life who would listen to my story and then just pray for me. And so it started off really well. And I kind of made this funny little vow in my mind and I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, okay, I'm healed now. And now I never have to deal with my past again. And now I'm going to move on with my life. And I kind of wiped my hands (laughs) of it. And I was like, it'll, nothing will ever come up again. So that was fun. That didn't last mm-hmm. too long. And then <laughs> I got married, as you can imagine, as a as a sexual abuse survivor, that was frightening and amazing, but frightening. And mm-hmm. so there was all those mm-hmm. all this weird um, ambiguity about sex and this fear of it and not yeah. liking it or not wanting to like it or just triggered like crazy. And then, um, but I was like, no, I'm, I've been healed. This is over. And, and so I just kind of pushed all that down and just tried to be, you know, a good wife and whatever. And which was, you know, hard. And then, um, started having children. But I remember a specific incident that happened to me, uh, right after we were married. Um, we wanted children. And so, uh, my first pregnancy was ectopic and, that's a dangerous thing to happen to someone. And there was no reason for me to have it, but I could have lost my life and I could have lost my fertility. And I remember finding out that that very first pregnancy was that. And I remember being in the car and yelling at God at the top of my lungs and saying, now I have proof that you don't love me. And and it was like I had also made, besides the uh, henceforth, I shall never have to revisit my past story again. I had another little vow that I didn't articulate, which was, you owe me a perfect life now, Lord. I've had a really bad upbringing, so now you owe me a perfect life. And he didn't obey me. <laughs> and an ectopic pregnancy, to me, was proof that God didn't love me. And I didn't, at that point, had, you know, I was at the beginning of my story. I didn't know I was going to have three more, three more children, but... At that point, I I was just devastated. And so my 20s were a lot of grief, actually, and kind of unpacking the things that I thought I'd put away. And particularly when my... Because you kept telling yeah, yourself, like, no, you're I'm putting done. it away, right? Like, okay, <laughs> the I'm old is gone, okay, the new has come. Come on back. now, let's keep going forward. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Let's rock this, and uh, <laughs> and you know all right. the Christian cliches I could think of were on the tip of my tongue. But when my uh, oldest daughter reached five, which was the age that I went through with my sexual abuse journey, I, of course I fell apart. And that's when I had to start counseling and and all of that. So my 20s were full of birthing babies, trying to figure out how to like sex, um, just to be super frank, and um, how to heal from yeah. a wound that I had thought was little but was gaping. I can't imagine like what that was like. And, you know, part of me was thinking about like how that must have been hard even for you to like invite your husband into that. Like, if it's okay, will you talk a little bit about like when you were entering into marriage with your husband, like what did that look like to invite him in and to like right. share and that so with him, I, you know? I was um, very motivated to share my story with him because I felt like it was really important. And, and both of us Mm. like were part of that story. I mean, I talked about it and he said, I'm so sorry. And of course we prayed about it and he went into the marriage knowing the story, but neither of us understood the ramifications of the story. And it wasn't until 
later in my early thirties mm-hmm. that we actually began talking about it. I was terrified to bring up, you know, I had been once I met Christ and I was in the church as a teenager, I had heard all those messages about, you know, once you're married, um, you know, everything's going to be awesome. And I, th- I thought that there was like a magical switch that would happen, you know, by God's grace, other than being, you know, molested at five, I was, I walked down the aisle as a virgin. And, and so I had all of these like extreme fears and I thought, well, on the wedding night, everything's going to be switched on magically. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't have sexual abuse in your story, this can be very true. It's like uh, suddenly you have to do something you've never done before, really. And so that was terribly hard and, of course, very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I literally could not talk about it. And um, like I said, in my 30s, uh, we began just dialoguing about it. And I could see, you know, his side of things and... And I was getting as much counsel as I possibly could, but it was, it was hard. And one of the times during that period of time, I went to a, I was so desperate. I went to a conference that was kind of without um, naming any names. It was kind of like a, how to be a sexy wife and all that and a bag of chips for your husband. And cause I was desperate. I was like, Mm -hmm. I've got to figure this out. And I looked around the room and they were yeah. talking about, oh, well, you should let your husband eat strawberries off your stomach. And and I was like, there's, n- yeah, first of all, I was like, gross. And then second, oh uh, I, was, I looked around the room and I thought, how many women <laughs> in this room have been abused in the past? And for them to even think about that is freaking them out mm. right now. And I just, I just almost stood up in the middle of the meeting and just yelled <laughs> because it felt like an impossible demand on me and on all those people who are struggling. And so, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's kind of the journey of once we were able to articulate what was going on, um, things started to improve, but it was when I was silent, it didn't work very well. I just gritted my teeth and tried to make, make do. Yeah. Mm. I can't imagine all of that, you know, just years and years and years later, having to deal with like the repercussions of it all, um, especially in entering into marriage and, and what that looks like um, in those years post, you know, going through married life. And so at what point did you come to the place where you're like, you know what, I want to share my story. I want to um, talk about um, what's happened to me and, and be able to speak to those that are, that are in the same boat. Um, and right. We too, like when, when did you come to that place? It's been a long, long journey and I have been speaking longer than I've been writing. So started speaking in the early nineties, started writing in the mid nineties, started getting published in the mid two thousands. Um, we too, is I think my 39th or 40th book. So I guess I, I have a lot to say about things, but, um, <laughs> The first time, (laughs) the first time I shared my sexual abuse story on paper was the second book that I wrote. And that was back in 2005. Mm. And I honestly was terrified. I was absolutely freaked out. And, and it was my, you know, as a new author, I was, you know, had this book contract in hand with a major publisher. And I was like, my dream was coming true. I was getting to be published and I've been working toward it toward it for 15 years. And 
part of me was like, I want to give this contract back. I cannot tell the story. The book was called Building the Christian Family You Never Had. And it was a, um, a way to help mm-hmm. parents who feel like they're pioneering a new road. But I just had one chapter in that book that told my story because I felt like if people wanted to hear from me about being a pioneer parent, they need to know where I came from. I was absolutely right. terrified. And during that time um, of writing it, I couldn't tell my family of origin that I was writing it. And I'm, I, I have been fairly estranged from them throughout different parts of my, uh, uh, my adulthood. And so um, I, when it was finally edited, my editor came back to me and he said, for legal purposes, we need your, my, my only have one parent, a uh, mom that's living. And so we need your, your mom to read it. And I was, I was like, okay, in my mind, I was thinking two things. She's going to say I'm a liar and she's going to withdraw her love from me. Those are my two mm. biggest fears. At the time, we were living in France. We were church planters in southern France with our kids, and um, everything was falling down around us. And the last thing I needed was to send this to my mom and have those fears realized, but I had to do it. So I did it, and I waited a week right. and no response. And finally, she responded. <laughs> I was dying, you know. Oh, man. Imagine the <laughs> Super That's a long, long week. So I get I get the email back and I'm oh, like, man. okay, what's it gonna say? And she fulfilled everything I thought she was gonna say. She said I was a liar and she she withdrew her love from me. And it was this moment oh, of no. the Wizard of Oz where Toto pulls back the curtain and what seemed large and gigantic to me suddenly was someone standing on a box pulling levers. And um I had worried so much about, I had done, I had bent over backwards trying to be perfect so that she would love me. And I finally kind of broke through and realized that my, you know, I didn't need to do that anymore. And it was devastating for me, but I also was still standing. And that one moment gave me the gumption and the ability to write a memoir, which was much more raw. And then all the rest of the books that I've written, um, I've been very authentic and honest. It was that one moment of being brave and standing up to what I thought was the most largest, fiercest giant in my life. Mm. I can imagine like your mom's response and, and the effect that that had on you and you know, you're already coming forward with, hey, here's my story. Like, this is already super hard to be open and honest about where I've been at and and taking that leap to say, I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to pretend like like my life has been perfect and that I'm coming from this place of parenting as a perfect person. And so knowing that you needed to share that story and and taking the risk and the sacrifice of losing love from your family over it, you know. Well, in in that book, I wrote a chapter about honor and, you know, that, that was, you know, of course that was in the top of mind. Like you want to honor your parents and, you know, to be fair to myself, I wasn't accusatory in the chapter. I was just simply telling my story. I never pointed the finger at any adult, although I definitely could. Um, I just simply shared the narrative. And as I was doing it, I felt like the Lord said to me, I was like, Lord, I don't want to do this. And I felt like he said, if you don't, who will mentor the next generation? Because there's going to be other people. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people will say, well, I'll talk about that story or I'll share it publicly when my parents die. 
And if we wait that long, we're going to lose a whole generation of people who need to know how to navigate relational heartache like this. Would you mind just sharing kind of your story, like of, you know, give us kind of a glimpse of, um, when the abuse happened to you and, and, and how that, how that came out. Yeah. Uh, I was definitely raised in a home that I didn't want to duplicate and hope that I haven't. Um, my mom and dad were divorced young. Um, they were married because I was there and, uh, my mom remarried and there was a period of time where I was, I think I was homeless. They won't, no one will tell me, but I've been trying to uncover that. But there was a period of time where I was probably being moved from drug house to drug house and possibly being abused. I'm pretty sure I was sexually abused when I was two or three or four, but I just mm. don't have a memory of it or it's been blocked. And um, for a period of time, I lived my, with my grandparents. I had no memory of my mom during that time. And then we went to go live with her second mm. husband, which was really unsafe. I was five at the time and there was um, really pretty green plants growing in the closet under grow lights. You can imagine that what that was and now legal in many mm. states. Um, there was a lot mm. of drug activity, a lot of crime. I was constantly terrified and, um, my mom worked all day long. And so, uh, I was at half day kindergarten and had a babysitter for the other half of the day. And, um, in the afternoons, uh, without any warning, without any grooming or anything, these two neighborhood boys who were in their teens knocked on the babysitter's door and asked if I could come out and play. And that began my year long assault that they were doing. And they eventually would invite their friends to join in. So it was multiple people. And, um, Wow. I, they told me, of course, that they would kill my parents if I told, and they used a bad word to describe mm -hmm. what they were doing. And so I didn't want, I was a good little girl. I was an only child and I, um, didn't want to say that word, but eventually after months of this happening with the extra people piled on, um, I finally told my babysitter and what's telling to me is that, she, in my mind, was the safest person to tell, not my mom, who must have seen evidence of what mm. was going on. There was, there had to have been evidence. And my biological father, right. who himself was a predatory person, um, I didn't tell them. I told my babysitter, mm. who was the one that shoved me out the door to these kids. And she said, I'll tell your mom. Mm. And the next day I thought, okay, I'm going to be safe. They're not going to get me anymore because she said she'd tell my mom. My mom will protect me. And, uh, that didn't happen. They knocked on the door. She shoved me out the door again and they continued. And so as a five-year-old, I, I was pretty smart. Um, and I thought to myself, okay, there's not one human being, not one adult, no heroes, no one's going to swoop in to take care of me. So I'm going to have to take care of myself. And so I started to sleep and, um, so when I would get home from half day kindergarten as a kindergartner, I had no sense of time. I just knew that the boys came sometime after that. So I would eat my lunch and I would pretend to sleep in my babysitter's bed for hours and hours and hours until my mom picked me up and I saved mm -hmm. myself really. And, you know, I, I have to applaud little Mary <laughs> for doing that. She was pretty plucky for getting, yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's I, I'm pretty smart. grateful. I was able to take care of myself that way. And then, um, at the end of the school year, we moved away and my mom, uh, divorced that man and started living with another one. And, um, 
I was free from those perpetrators, but I felt like I had a come get me sign on my forehead. And I constantly spent my childhood running Mm -hmm. from perpetrators, including my own father. And he ended up uh, dying uh, when I was 10 years old. And, um, so then you can just imagine, so I'm going to, there's a positive part of this story. It's a hard story, but, um, you can imagine that by the time I'm in the sixth and seventh grade, what my life is like, I want to kill myself. I'm writing suicide poetry as a writer back then. I've always been a writer. And, um, it wasn't until ninth grade when I started to go to young life as at the invite of a friend that I started to hear about Jesus for the very first time. And when I heard his name Mm. and heard what he did in the New Testament, we were just talking about stories. I was so ripe for the picking and it took me about a year. And then I went to a weekend camp as a sophomore in high school. And that's when I gave my life to Jesus. And the beautiful part of the story is my greatest violation. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So when those boys would take me out to do what they were going to do, it was always, almost always in ravines at this very scary park in Seattle. And there were these gigantic evergreen Mm. trees. And I just remember the visual of that. And when I met Christ, I went outside, it was nighttime and I sat under an evergreen tree and I I just spilled my heart to Jesus. And as a fatherless girl, by this time, my mom had divorced the third Mm -hmm. husband. So, or she had married that guy and then divorced him. So I was a fatherless girl. And I just said, would you be the father who would never leave me? And so 15 um, was the beginning of my healing journey. (laughs) And I'm still on it many years later. Right. And rightfully so. I mean, Whew, that is a that's a heavy story, but also so beautiful and like so thankful that somebody saw you and said, mm-hmm. "Hey, like, come church with me." You know, like there's always those friends. Like, man, so thankful for that, and thankful that Jesus captured your heart. And and where would you be without him? And I was wondering if there was a specific story um, from the Bible that like really resonated with you. The one that comes to mind is Joseph, and it's a popular story if you're going to rate the stories of the Bible. Um, but I, I feel I just had such a kinship with him. He was suffering um, through pretty much no fault of his own, and yet God used his story to change and heal many lives and to provide food for a whole entire nation. And he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in Genesis 50, 20, that, you know, this present, this would happen and that many lives would be saved. And that's how I view my story. Yes. um, Some people meant it for evil. Definitely the perpetrators did and people by their lack of care and their lack of the, or they're just downright neglect in that way, meant it for evil. But, um, God saw me and I go back to that, you know, Psalm 40, where it says he, he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firm. And then later it says, many will see and praise the Lord. And that's kind of how I see my life mm. is that what a crazy beginning, but what a beautiful ending. So true. And that was, that was so early on in your life too. I Has, has it been hard 
like, did you come to a place, have you, do you have very vivid memories of it or was it kind of like, oh man, you kind of had to unpack it later on and realize what was going on? I was one of those that had the memories all the time. And so there's never been, other than the fact that there's some memories I can't recall about moving from home to home during the homelessness time, um, the, the sexual abuse I have vivid memories of. And I carried those with me for a decade. I didn't share that story after I told my babysitter and nothing happened. It wasn't until I became a Christ follower that I began to share that story again. So it was always very vivid to me. What came, what was harder for me was coming to grips with the fact that my father was grooming me to be his next victim. And when a parent dies young like that, um, you tend to create a hero out of them. And so in my mind, he could do no wrong. And I also needed a parent that cared about me. And so he kind of became that parent for me. Right. And and so when I started sharing the story of him, I, I, I started hearing, especially when I had kids, I started hearing me tell the story and go, oh my gosh, my father, what was he doing? And wow, and oh dear. So I'm still kind of working through that particular story. Um, but the other one was more vivid to right. me. Right. And it's crazy that at that young, you know, but something so um, just insanely tragic like that is obviously going to have lasting impacts. And so whenever, you know, I guess, was it last year or the year before when kind of this Me Too movement came out? Um, how was that like, how was that big for you? And um, and then let's talk about kind of just like the church and, and how, how both that movement and the church kind of interact. Right. Um, I was grateful that stories were finally being told. I had been, I felt like I was that, I was like John the Baptist, you know, crying out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about mm-hmm. this. I've been talking about it for like 15 years. And, and so I felt like I was just this lone voice. And I know that's not true. There was lots of other voices, but in terms of the impact on culture. um, So when that happened, I was, I was grateful. Um, The the one negative I see about it is that um, I fear for those who say their story first on social media, because this is a Mm. tender and delicate story and it's best shared with a safe person one-on-one than um, to the entire internet. And so I would caution people who have that story to really understand the weightiness of it. And and by all means, like Mm -hmm. in the future, share it as God leads you to share it. But initially for your own mental health, find somebody who loves you and who will listen to you. Um, it's a better way of disclosing mm-hmm. just that's my pastoral heart coming out and my longing to not see people re-victimized. Cause a lot of times what happens is we're seeing this kind of anti-movement against me too, where people are like, be quiet already. You're just a whiner, you know, and, and their reactions can be really virulent and there is such a thing as a secondary trauma. So you have the primary trauma of the sexual abuse The secondary trauma can take two um, tacks. The first one is when someone says, I don't believe you. And that's terrible. It's a secondary Mm -hmm. trauma. The second one is to throw some Christian platitudes your way of, oh, it's over. The old is gone. The new has come. What were you wearing? I mean, just like those kind of like 
poor reactions can also trigger someone Mm -hmm. and cause them to have that secondary trauma. So we have to be super careful about how we tenderly handle trauma. Dr. Diane Langberg said something very astute. She says, trauma is the mission field of our time. And I absolutely agree. Just being able to see and look at the people around you and, and be that just like listening ear. Um, to to see people who have gone through trauma and like you said just start small for the sake of like your healing process mm-hmm. right because not all people are going to be able to to handle it in the same way and and you need somebody who's going to understand and did you have that those kind of people right that just kind of listened and loved you and and pointed you to scripture um throughout your healing process i wish i could say that that was true um but i would say for the most part, it's true. So when I did disclose to family members, um, the initial reaction was it didn't happen. You're lying. Um, so that was devastating. Uh, but when I did share with my Christian leaders and friends, um, for the most part, the reaction was empathy and prayer. And I think we need to be sure to recognize the positive parts of how the church can come along alongside sexual abuse victims in its institution. It tends to not do well, but one-on-one the, you know, like where the real body of Christ meets the road of life one-on-one um, I can tell you very confidently that I have healed because of the body of Christ. Um, and I really wrote the mm-hmm. book because of the institutional response has not always been awesome. And where, where have we gone wrong? Like, where has the church gone wrong in coming alongside victims? Um, so historically, um, one of the things that I did in the, in the book, We Too, is not only did I trace the rape narratives through scripture, but I also looked at church history and how the church has responded. Mm. And typically, it's with silencing. And it's with cover up and um, this is too shameful of a topic. We're not going to talk about it. And it's always been airing on the side of institutional protectionism and not on the side of the victim. Mm. Of course, we can point to the Catholic church to see that, that that definitely happened, but you know what? We should uh, point the finger back to our Protestant selves because it's happening all over the place. You just have to watch the new cycle to see that. Mm -hmm. And so what's happened is if the abuse happened within the church, um, there have been some churches that have done some awesome responses. Um, But a lot of times what will happen is a victim will disclose to the church and the church will not report it to the authorities. And I'm talking about Mm -hmm. someone, you know, beneath 18, um, There have been incidents where uh, the pastor has brought in the victim and the abuser into the same room and told the victim that they need to reconcile and forgive immediately. Um, That is egregious. Um, My friend Boz, who, who has prosecuted these cases, said many times, if the perpetrator is a leader of the church, if you walk into the courtroom behind the victim's family, you will see family only. Uh, and behind the perpetrator, you will see the entire church body. And oh the, the problem with that is that it shows that we're more interested in protecting 
the man of God or the woman of God who is, you know, the important one, then we are dignifying the voice of the poor victim. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the New Testament, that's not what I see Jesus doing. Right. (laughs) Always chasing after, practically chasing after people who are on the margins. And he's speaking truth to power to those who are religiously elite. And so, in my mind, um, the reason I wrote this book is not because I hate the church, it's because I absolutely adore the church. And I believe the church is is so important. And because I love it so much, I want to see this corrective because I want to see the church rise up. I want to see revival in our land. And it cannot happen when there is sin in the camp. It's it's just so sad to me how much brokenness has been in, in churches around this topic. And, and we have to come to realize, like, man— it is such a broken world and and not everybody's going to get it right but we can pray and we can equip and um and speak up so that maybe so that maybe Jesus can do some some work in those churches and and hopefully be able to treat victims with with the kind of love that Jesus Jesus would extend cuz like you said over and over again in scripture i mean he like you said is chasing after those that are unseen and unclean and and victimized and and the ones that are the religious church leaders i mean they are the ones that are skeptical of jesus and um that don't believe him and and are trying to silence him right and so the same is true today and it's just it's crazy to me um how we're still (laughs) stuck in that same way like nothing has changed um but how could you like encourage encourage churches and church and encourage um you know just the church in general how we can come alongside and fight for victims of abuse well the first thing i would say is to empower 20 something leaders because your generation mm. is doing more for this issue than any other generation has historically and i am so proud and so grateful for my own kids who are in this generation for you because you can yeah. see this issue very clearly as black and white where I don't know why my generation doesn't, but it doesn't. And so, um, hmm. so there's that. And I would encourage churches. One of the biggest encouragements that I give a church is of course, um, creating child safety procedures and policies and procedures about how you will report and, and, um, you know, what will you do if someone on your staff has done that? And what do you do if an abuse victim comes in and they, it didn't happen at church that they're just broken. How do you help them? Of course, I'll say all those things, but one of the things I say that I think is the most important is to speak about this issue, frankly, from the pew. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard, thousands upon thousands of sermons, and maybe once or twice have I heard a sermon talking redemptively about sexual abuse and how um, Jesus can be a part of the healing journey to that, but even just mentioning it. And so um, I felt like a freak for decades. Like I was the only one with that story. I knew statistics that I wasn't but I still felt like I was. I think Mm -hmm. there's other people in the pews who maybe experience domestic violence and they feel like I'm a freak. (laughs) No one tells my story. And we just need to have more honest, 
redemptive stories. I don't know about you, but it says, you know, in, in Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We're, we're missing out on that second right. part. We need to share testimonies of what God mm. can do and to bring light because so many times in sexual abuse, it's darkness and anger and frustration and pain and triggers and all of those things. We need those stories of light that yes, you can yes, it's a long road of healing. No, it's not a one and done, but yes, there is joy. And wow, what, what can Jesus do? I, wow. The gospel's so amazing. Look what it's done right. in his life and her life. I'd like to see more of that in the church these days. Yes. Just coming alongside like Jesus did. And so Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for just kind of giving us an idea of, of how we can do this better and even encouraging us in, in our 20s to to just being able to see those that are around us that are victims and, and come alongside them um, and love them and just be a listening ear um, mm-hmm. that asks questions, that um, that helps along the way and doesn't doesn't silence victims of abuse. So I'm thankful that you are sharing your story because I'm sure the enemy has told you many times and tried to stop you many times um, from sharing it out and, and being somebody who speaks, uh, speaks up and, and tries to help us with how we can, how we can be better serve you. So it's my pleasure. And if there's, Anyone out there listening who has that story, first of all, I'm just so sorry, and I grieve with you. And I do have a a free 21-day email sequence of just kind of some of the things I've learned on the healing journey. So if you're interested in that, you can go to we2.org forward slash 21 days, and you'll get that free in your inbox. But um, just know you're not alone. And know that there is light at the end of the very dark tunnel and that um, Jesus has that empathy for you because he also was harmed on this earth. He understands what exploitation is. I think we forget that he hung naked on the cross, (laughs) like how exploitive that would be. Mm. And he understands what it's like to be harmed by others. And so um, he has been my hope all these years, and it's my hope that you will fall into his arms, um, in this difficult story. Thank you for that. We, we appreciate it. And, um, and your book comes out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, in August, August 13th. Is that, is that right? Yay. And okay. I have three final questions for you that I ask to every guest that comes on. And the first one is what is one thing you wish you knew as a 20 something? That healing is a lifetime journey and that it's naive to think that I can just wipe my hands of something and be automatically okay. Um, that one, that one. Yeah, that mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, that's good. And I've seen that. I've seen that in my own life as well. <laughs> yes, of just course. Really it's the American in us. Okay. It's just not. <laughs> Let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> it's especially, you know, my unfortunate, you know, uh, being a millennial and wanting instant gratification being roped into that you know oh man so okay next what are you like reading listening to Uh, i'm watching watching, um i'm re-watching stranger things right now because the the new oh yeah isn't the new season coming um, out i'm I'm watching that and um i am reading like seven books at once but uh you know how that is. Um, 
<laughs> so it's hard to even like remember which ones they yes, are because I'm reading too many. But it. in the in the Bible, I've been reading the book of Hebrews over and over and over again, and I've just been enjoying the the thickness and the mm-hmm. richness of that. Yeah, I love that Hall of Faith. That's mm-hmm. my favorite. Uh, okay. Lastly, what is refreshing you these days? This is like anything that is just giving you life. I am uh, going to be taking a month sabbatical. And as I've been thinking about that very question, the thing that comes back to me is either puttering around in the garden or creating art. So I'm, I like to watercolor. So I'll probably be doing a lot of watercolors. As oh, I that's fun. That's so fun. I, have always loved watercolor. I'm not very good at it, but <laughs> I don't think I am either, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> but it's fun. So yep. we can do it if we want. <laughs> we can. That's it's life giving. So do it. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for coming on. I loved having you today. And I'm just so thankful for your story um, and sharing it. And I'm so excited for your book launch. Thank you so much. I am too. And um, it's just my heart to see people gloriously set free because that's been my experience. And um, I no longer want to see people hiding in the dark with that story because it can cause a lot of pain. Yeah. Amen. So thank you for sharing about it. And, and, you know, like you said, for anybody out there who has been a victim and, you know, we we're on your team and uh, we're praying for you and for you to be seen and supported and to find people that can can hold your hands up. And so and f- feel free to go to Mary's site and and check out her book um, for just like resources to help. But but we ultimately know that that it's Jesus that provides the healing. But so thank you, Mary, for sharing your story. Uh, we super appreciate you coming on today. It's been my privilege. Thank you. All right, homies, I'm going to pause for a sec to tell you about a podcast. Do you want to stay up to date with the latest news but don't have the time? The Newsworthy is a great daily podcast that helps you stay up to date with everything you need to know in less than 10 minutes. Unlike many news sources out there that can leave you feeling depressed, The Newsworthy is fast, fair, and fun. Search for The Newsworthy wherever you listen to your podcast or go to thenewsworthy.com to check it out. Wow, you guys, what an incredible testament of God's faithfulness to his daughters. Her story is not to take lightly, and there are so many women and men who have been through the same thing. I love this intimate conversation with Mary and how she was able to share her story with so many. I would love for you to check out her new book, We Too, that talks about her past involving sexual abuse and life post. If any of you are struggling with sexual abuse and are scared to tell the truth, please find somebody of trust and confidence and share your story. Feel free to reach out to Mary or me with any questions and we would love to talk to you. Share this episode with a friend and stay fresh, my people.